Uh, would you please open your Bibles to Psalm 78? Since we're talking so much about parenting, I want to tell you that one of, the, one of the surprises for Nicole and I, maybe more so for me than Nicole, but one of the surprises I've had in parenting is how much my children enjoy hearing the stories that Nicole and I have from growing up, those stories of our lives. I guess it shouldn't surprise me. I, I just didn't think my life was all that interesting, but my kids seem endlessly fascinated. But it shouldn't surprise me given how much my sisters and I enjoyed hearing the stories that our parents would tell us. My dad went to the Naval Academy, was a Navy man, and I never grew tired of tales of the sea. My sisters, though, sometimes got a little bored with uh, stories of engine rooms and celestial navigation, wasn't really their thing. But my mom's stories, my mom is a master storyteller. She's fantastic. I wish you could meet her. She just turned 70 a couple weeks ago. And we never, we, my sisters and I, we never got tired, never get tired of hearing my mom's stories. We love the story of the time my Uncle Clifton, as teenagers, Uncle Clifton, trying to give her a golf lesson, and she knocked him out cold with a backswing of a nine iron. It's amazing, out on the ground. We also love the story of uh, when mom and dad got married in South Carolina in a heat wave in a small church with no air conditioning. So my grandfather, being the resourceful fellow that he was, rounded up all of the big fans in the small town of South Carolina and packed them into this church. Right at the critical moment as my mom enters the sanctuary, walks through the door, and everyone beholds her for the first time. Her veil gets sucked into a fan. (laughs) I had to scramble a little bit, change the mood a little bit of what was happening, but they got it worked out. They got married. It's fine time my mom, a 16-year-old, driving with a freshly minted driver's license down the main street of this small South Carolina town, police officer ahead of her had pulled over, parked along the side of the street, and at just the right moment, or just the wrong moment, depending on how you look at it, he opens his door, mom clips the door, lays the door flat against the front of the police car, policeman was fine, so fine, in fact, that he got out, didn't say a word to my mom. Walked into the small general store there that my grandfather managed. Mr. Floyd, need to have a conversation about Nancy's driving. And <laughs> mom was in some hot water for that. These stories, there's so many more of them. I could, I could just tell you mom stories all day long. Think about these stories and what they did for my sisters and I. They shaped us. They taught us something about who Whitakers are, where we came from, how we got here, why we're <laughs> the way we are. <laughs> And now we're doing the same thing for our children. It turns out that we are tapping into a long line of generational storytelling. People have long recognized the power of story to shape the hearers. If you go back about 300 years, there's an 18th century Scottish politician named Andrew Fletcher. He was credited with having said, let me write the songs of a nation, and I care not, Who makes its laws? He understood that even through song, if you tell the story, you shape the people. Go back a little farther, maybe about a thousand years, and the Anglo-Saxon word for poet is the word shope. It's a word that in normal usage meant to create or to bring out. Our modern English word shape comes from that Anglo-Saxon word for poet, 
because they recognized that the stories that they told through that poetry shaped people, shaped their character, shaped their perceptions, shaped their affections. So we would be wise to pay attention to the stories that we tell as well. Today we're going to look at Psalm 78. This psalm is based around the idea of generational storytelling. This is a psalm that tells stories in order to shape generations. And when the fathers of our faith start telling their stories, what we get is the history of the saving works of God. It turns out that storytelling is one of the ways that God intends for the central truth of the faith to get passed on from generation to to generation. God gave us stories. He gave us a story. The many stories that make up this book tell one grand story of salvation through Jesus Christ. These stories are the Word of God, the story of all stories, the story to surpass all stories, and the story to make sense of every other story. And this is the big idea behind this psalm. This is what Psalm 78 is all about. The stories that we tell to the next generation about God shape the next generation and their love for God. The stories that we tell to the next generation about God shape the next generation and their love for God. Now, Psalm 78 is the second longest psalm in the Psalter, 72 verses long. We're not going to read the whole thing today. I highly recommend that sometime in the next day or two you take time to read it all. It won't take you all that long on your own. The first eight verses of this psalm provide kind of an introduction to the entire psalm. And then the remainder of the psalm is basically an extended illustration of the ideas that are introduced in the first eight verses. So this morning, we're going to read verses 1 through 8 and then dip into the rest of the psalm. Now, I understand it's your custom to stand for the reading of God's Word. So I'd like to ask you to stand, and we will read, I will read, and I'd like to ask you to follow along Psalm 78, 1 through 8, and then I will pray for us. Psalm 78, a masculine of Asaph. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose heart was not faithful to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you please be pleased to bless the preaching of your word this morning. Give us grace, we pray, to see with our eyes and to hear with our ears and to set our hearts 
upon all that you show to us. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom we love with all our hearts. Amen. Would you please be seated? We're going to look at these eight verses in three steps, three points that come from the text here. I trust, and if you are a note taker, the first point is this, the mandate. These verses give us a mandate, and the mandate is for us to tell the coming generation. These verses have a mandate, tell the coming generation, and that mandate is in the first three verses. The psalm opens with a call for attention. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I think if we were to translate this into very modern English, we might say something like, listen up. Got something to tell you. The psalmist explains that he will open his mouth in parables and other dark sayings. Now, let's not be thrown off by the word dark here. It does not mean things morbid. Don't think Edgar Allan Poe or the latest Batman movie. It means things that are opaque or otherwise unknown. These are riddles, things that are locked up, parables, dark saying. These are, here's what it is. These are, these are stories from the past that have significance for the present and prepare the hearers for the future. That's what these things are. And he explains in verse 3, they are things that we have heard, things that we have known, that our fathers have told us. Mm, there it is, generational storytelling. We're going to see more of it before we're done. So here, Asaph is inviting all who read this psalm to join him in telling the coming generation. These psalms present us with a mandate, a call to join every previous generation of God's people in telling the coming generation so that he might shape that next generation. In other words, We're not simply told to do this. We're invited to join in to something that has been going on already for generation after generation after generation. We're invited to join Asaph, who wrote this psalm, in passing on to younger generations what he himself has been given. These stories that Asaph wants to tell, these are not just filler. They're not random scraps of the historical record. The whole book This whole book is a carefully crafted story about who God is and what he's like and what he has done. And it is meant to shape. It's meant to shape us. It's meant to shape what we love. It's meant to shape how we think. It's meant to shape how we feel and how we go about our lives. Think about the way this book has shaped you already. Think about different books of the Bible, different chapters, and even different individual verses. Think about... Maybe how reading the book of Ruth has shaped your confidence that God is sovereign over every disappointment and difficulty in life. Think about how the book of Exodus has shaped your awareness that God desires to have a people and to dwell with them. Think about how the book of Acts has shaped your sense of the importance of the church in God's plan and his desire to make the gospel known among the generations. These stories shape our love for God. And the mandate of this psalm, to tell the next generation of the glorious deeds of the Lord, you might be tempted to think, well, I see, this is a sermon about parenting. And since I don't have children of my own, I'm going to tune out a little bit here, maybe start planning what I'm going to 
eat for lunch, what we're going to say to mom at dinner tonight, that sort of thing. Well, hold on, not so fast. I'm not going to let you get away with that. This psalm teaches that telling the coming generation is the responsibility of all God's people. It's a responsibility of the family and of the church. Let's start with the church because that's where Asaph actually begins. This is the responsibility of all God's people. Verse 1 begins, give ear, O my people. Asaph doesn't begin by simply addressing fathers and mothers. He doesn't start, listen up, dads. Got something to say to you, moms. No, he begins, listen, O my people. Here is something for all of us. God, through Asaph, is addressing every one of us. If you don't have children, this psalm is for you as well. If your children have grown up and moved out, and they are not seated next to you right now, this psalm is for you as well. And I can prove it. Look what it says here. He begins, notice how he begins with the first person singular, I, and me and my my teaching, the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth. I will utter dark sayings. But in verse 3, he switches to first person plural, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We, we, we. This is a responsibility that we all share. So if you don't have children, you're an empty nester, your kids are grown up and moved out, Still a lot of ways you can do this. And so if you don't have children or you don't have children with you right now, this psalm is for you. There's so many important ways that you do this. You do this first and foremost by living a faithful Christian life, by being an example. Children are watching. They see you. They see you at church You may not even be around these children directly very often. You may not know many of them. You might even not be particularly fond of children. But your example of a Christian living faithfully for God is serving parents and serving the next generation by proclaiming the truth of the gospel, validating the message of Jesus Christ through your life. I can't tell you how many times the Whitaker family has sat around the dinner table, and there's some point I want to bring home to my kids. We're talking about what does it mean, maybe, to be a servant in the family and in the church, and we think, well, I start thinking, who could I, who could we talk about that would illustrate this for my kids? And we talk about, kids, who's a, who's a servant in the church that you know? And they, oh, we know Mr. and Mrs. Bear, Arnie and Dawn Bear are in their mid-50s. They don't have children of their own, and they are serving constantly. My kids, immediately they get it, and they see, oh, that's what authentic, faithful, serving Christianity looks like. I can't tell you how often we have mentioned members of our church, and you are doing the same thing for parents here in this church. You know what else you can do is you can pray. Pray for these families. Man, what a visual, having them spread out in front of us this morning, and there's so many more. We see them and hear them right now. What a gift. Pray for these parents. Pray for the the parents that are in your church, that are in your small group, that are are seated around you at church every Sunday. How can you pray for them? Well, ask them. That'll encourage them. Just that simple question. Hey, how can I pray for you in your parenting this week? Oh, (laughs) as a dad, oh man, what a gift. Please, please pray for me. I need it. I need it more than 
almost anything else in my life. But here's a short version, quick reference guide, how you could pray for parents. Pray that God would give them wisdom, strength, and faithfulness. And there's more to pray, but that's a really great start. Because as a dad, I need wisdom. So often, I just don't know what to do or what to say. What, what do I, how do I, what, how do I handle this? I need wisdom. And I need strength. I got four kids. They're all teenagers. For next year, I've got four teenagers. I'm tired. <laughs> I need strength. To, I need the wisdom to say the right thing and do the right thing. And then the strength to do it. And then faithfulness. I need the faithfulness to do it over and over and over again for years. Parents need faithfulness for a long run. That's how you can pray. So telling the coming generation is a community responsibility that we all share, but it's also the responsibility of families. It is the duty of a family. And you see that in verse 3 and verse 5. Asaph mentions fathers and their role in telling the coming generation. Of course, moms do this too. The verse addresses dads because fathers, we have a responsibility to lead, to set the pace, to set a spiritual tone and atmosphere in our homes. Our wives, the moms in the house, help us with this in so many vital ways. But fathers, we will answer to God for this one day. It's a fearsome responsibility. And yet it's a responsibility that the Lord loves to empower by his spirit. And this calls for an entire way of living. This is about creating a family culture and a church culture. Cultures that tell the stories of God's saving work. I'm sure there are so many ways that you're doing this already as you talk about the Lord and his ways. You talk about church. You talk about the sermon that you heard at, at meals and in the car. I'm sure you read together as a family. Growing up, Nicole's family, they read a lot of Christian biographies. So we recently pulled a page out of that playbook and started reading Christian biography around the dinner table together. In the last year, we read Corey Tenboom's book, The Hiding Place. We read together Elizabeth Elliot's Through Gates of Splendor. You get sort of a gospel twofer for this because my kids, they get to hear about the faith of Elizabeth Elliot, the faith of Corey Tenboom. They also get a pretty good dose of mom and dad's faith too because we have to keep stopping. I have to keep stopping to explain why I'm crying. Why well, I'm so moved and I can't get through this paragraph because I'm so affected and I want to be more like these faithful Christians from ages past. What about hospitality? You have people over to your house. When you do, ask them for their testimonies. We love having our kids in the room when people who are over for dinner, guys, tell us, how did you come to know Jesus Christ? And then after everybody's left, we're doing the dishes, we're cleaning up, we're putting stuff away. Guys, what did you think of the testimony? Did you hear how these people came to faith in Christ and how they forsook their sin, gave it up, they turned to Jesus. He's more important to them than anything else. I love being able to build on those stories and people right in front of my, my kids, that they see at church every Sunday, wow, look at what happened. I'm sure you talk to your kids about your gratefulness to God for how he saved you. Trust you know, your kids want to hear your testimony. Don't tell them just once. Tell them a lot. Remind them of how God saved you from certain doom, from destruction, how he rescued you from sin, how he gave you grace and help. He's planted you in a church. He's given you a love for the saints. 
He's given you a love for Jesus Christ. He's given you a hunger for his word, a longing to pray, and a hope of heaven. Kids need to hear that story. Parents, God is eager to empower this in your lives. So church, families, we have a mandate to tell the coming generation. And fortunately for us, Asaph has not only told us to tell the coming generation, he has also told us what to tell the coming generation. So if you're taking notes, second point is the message. We have a mandate and we have a message. The message is what to tell the coming generation. In verses 4 and 5, Asaph explains, here you go, this is what to tell them. It says, we will not hide them from their children, but tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. All right, that's three things. It's actually like all one thing. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. There's two things that's actually one thing. We'll kind of look at each of these. Two things, the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might, the wonders that he's done, a testimony in Jacob and a law in Israel. In other words, teach them God's works, teach them God's word. God's works and God's word. Parents, super simple outline, what we should teach our children. Teach them about God's works and about God's word. So what are these glorious deeds of the Lord here that Asaph refers to? What are the wonders that we are to proclaim to the next generation? The entire rest of the psalm, second longest of the psalms, the entire rest of the psalm describes what happens when God's people forget the story, forget who they are and where they are in the story, and go off and sin instead. And then God, because he loves them, corrects them, disciplines them, brings them back, and they repent and are restored to a right relationship, and that goes on for a little while, and then they sin again. And God is merciful and gracious, and though there are consequences for their sin, he calls them to repentance, and the people see their folly and return to him and are restored again to right relationship and blessing, and it's this cycle. And it, Psalm 78 is actually kind of a slog because you're like, man, guys, come on. You know what? This is our story too. We have the opportunity to tell our children that we are sinners. Few things are more powerful in shaping the spiritual lives of the next generation than saying, son, daughter, you know what? Dad's a sinner. What do sinners need? Taught this very simple catechism to my kids from a very young age. What are we like? We're sinners. What do sinners need? Sinners need a Savior. Who's the Savior? Jesus. So, who do you need? I need Jesus. That's powerful. To tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. To tell them, to tell our sons and our daughters, we need the glorious work of the Lord. We need the saving power of Jesus Christ. They need it as well. This this psalm, as you go through, the, the glorious deeds of the Lord in the Old Testament, you're always looking back at the Exodus. And the Exodus is this great pattern, this paradigm of salvation. And we can help our children by telling them the story of the new Exodus. The Exodus story is our story. And when we preach the gospel to our children, we are telling them, guys, this is us. You know that story of being in bondage to, in Egypt. Uh, kids have had this, you know, flannel graphs, children's Bibles, uh, coloring books. They've got all of this story. They know this story. Young people, 
Egypt, that was us. Sin was our slavery. Unbelief was our Egypt. Jesus is our Moses. We have received forgiveness. The church is our Israel. We are wandering. This world that we live in is our wilderness. God's word is our manna, and heaven is our promised land. The glorious deeds of the Lord, as you read through Psalm 78, and you hear the story of Moses and the people of God being led out, that is us. Let's help our kids find their place in this story. So we teach them God's works, and we teach them God's word. How will the next generation know God's works? They will know God's works as we teach them God's word. I am sure there are so many ways that you're doing this. So many ways our kids, we try to get God's word in our kids at every phase. When they were little kids, they just listened to the Bible. We would get them up in the morning and, all right, time for your quiet time. And it was never all that quiet because we were playing God's word on CD players and later on devices and stuff. And when they started reading, they got kids' Bibles. I wrote Bible studies. We bought Bible studies. We bought all of Marty Machowski's books that he had written when my kids were little, which was like two, and now now there's a ton of them. As they got older, we started teaching them to wake up earlier than they needed to so that they could read God's Word. I'm sure you're doing this, too. Over the last three years, my kids are all teenagers now, so we've, I think this is our third year, we're just reading through the Bible together as a family. Any day, I can ask them, hey, what'd you think about Ecclesiastes this morning? What'd you read and what'd you get out of Romans this morning? It's great. It's so great to do that. And we talk about it at every age, in every place, every phase of their Bible reading. We discuss it, sometimes over dinner, sometimes we're weeding in the yard, sometimes sitting on the edge of the bed as I'm tucking them in. I still do that. Even my, I don't really tuck them in anymore. My 19 and 17-year-old sons, they don't want to be tucked in. But I still sit on the edge of the bed and talk to them. We talk about God's word. Parents, you do this. You're teaching them God's word over and over, day after day. We get in the car. We get into dad's classroom for wisdom and virtue. We talk about it. I have a captive audience all the way to Chick-fil-A. It's great. So let's tell the story of God's saving power. Let's Let's tell them about the coming, let's tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Parents, you have a story of glorious deeds and might and wonder. You are in bondage to sin. You have been set free in Christ. You have been joined to a church and you are bound for heaven. It's a great story. And if that isn't reason enough to encourage you to tell the coming generation, there is more. Asaph tells us to tell the coming generation. He tells us what to tell the coming generation. We have a mandate. We have a message. We also have a motive. He tells us why we should do this. And the motive here, why to tell, third point, why to tell the coming generation. It's in verses 6 and 8. Look at verses 6 and six through eight here in your Bibles. Did you notice as we read it that each of those verses begins with the word that? This short little word indicates purpose. Here's a reason for something. Asaph wants to be sure we understand why this is important. Verse six, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. 
This verse tells us that there's more at stake here than just our children. There are actually four generations, at least, in view here. You have to back up a little bit to see this, but look at the end of verse 5. He commanded our fathers to teach to their children. Well, that's us. If our fathers are teaching to their children, then we're getting taught that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn, that they would arise and tell them to their children. Parents, what you're doing now can and will have a downstream effect for generations to come. I'll let you do the math on this, but just think for a minute about what, what, will, what will your offspring be like 100 years from now? If, if you and your wife have a few kids, so you have three or four kids, and each of those kids has three or four kids, and each of those kids has three or four kids, then in less than a century, you have profoundly influenced the lives of dozens, maybe hundreds of people, spouses, neighbors, co-workers, friends, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. This is amazing to think about. And usually at this point in this message, I have, I have a thing here I say to encourage dads and a thing I say to encourage moms. So I'm just going to make the dads part real quick. Dads, I hope you're encouraged by that. Keep it up. Moms, it's Mother's Day. Moms, it is Mother's Day. When, just think, this, this truth can serve you and sustain you. That there are generations that will benefit from your sacrifice, your service, your hard work, and your faithfulness day after day. And when you feel tired, should that ever happen? Just kidding. When you are struggling, just the monotony, the repetition, so much of the work that you do is done to be undone. Clothes are cleaned to be dirtied. Beds are made to be slept in. Food is prepared to be eaten. <laughs> floors are, I don't know, if you have little kids, are the floors ever clean? Can you even do it? When you see that, when you think about that, when you prepare, next time you're setting the table for dinner, you need to picture around that table, it's not just your kids around that table. Your grandkids are around that table. Your great-grandkids are around that table. When you sacrifice your strength each day to care for your kids, to make a delightful home, to build memories with these children, you need to imagine a family reunion that may not even occur until glory. And there will be children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, spouses. Think about a family reunion gathered around to thank you for the work that you have done. It is good and right that we honor mothers on Mother's Day. For many mothers, many of you, this day is a joy. You've got the family gathered around you. I trust sometime over lunch or dinner, husbands will lead in honoring mom and thanking mom for your service and your sacrifice to the family. We're going to express our affection and gratitude in meaningful and tangible ways. So dads, if you weren't planning on, on that already, hint, hint. That'll go over really well if you do that. And there may be some moms who, for you, maybe Mother's Day is a sorrow. Maybe it's filled with anxiety about a wayward child who's not walking with the Lord. Maybe it's a feeling of regret 
of opportunity missed, a desire to wish you could go back and do it again. For you, I just want to remind you, I hope it serves you to remember that the blood of Jesus Christ covers every sin, even our failure and even our weakness in parenting. The arm of the Lord is not too short to save. So the stories of these children is not done being written. And for mothers, for all mothers, I hope you are strengthened today in your mothering. We live in a culture that despises what you do, scorns your work and your faithfulness. Our culture thinks it is below your dignity and your intelligence to give your life away for the next generation. Your skills and energy would be far better spent in a cubicle somewhere, but we're not so easily fooled. G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite authors, had this to say about mothers. He confronted this idea that motherhood is a small, meaningless, insignificant task. He wouldn't stand for it. G.K. Chesterton said, I can understand how mothering might exhaust the mind, but I cannot imagine how it might narrow it. How can it be a large career to tell other people's children about arithmetic and a small career to tell one's own children about the universe? How can it be broad to be the same thing to everyone and narrow to be everything to someone? No, a woman's function is laborious because it is gigantic, not because it is minute. I will pity Mrs. Jones for the hugeness of her task. I will never pity her for its smallness. Mothers, you have a task that is huge, gigantic, laborious. And earlier Greg said, oh, you can't be everything to these children, and that's true. That is absolutely true. But Chesterton knows that, and every mom knows, that there is a sense in which, especially as they're small, you are everything to those children. And every Husband, and child, we rise up and we call you blessed. Mothers, thank you. And this is part of why we tell the coming generation. It's right there in verse 6. And there's more reasons. Verse 7, that they should set their hope in God and not forget his works, but should keep his commandments. There is a progression here that these children would know so that they would remember what they know and that then that they would act on what they remember. When we tell these stories, it's like we're carving channels. It's like we're creating lines for children to think upon. We're, we're training their thinking and their feeling that they might obey God with both. We plant and water, but God gives the growth. And so he uses these stories of salvation to work in them. And verse 8, we do this so that they will not harden their hearts and resist the grace of God. That's what verse 8 is about, so that they should not be stubborn and rebellious like some previous generations. And if you read the rest of Psalm 78, it is the story of sin, consequences, and repentance, and restoration. And so we tell these stories to protect and serve our children. Some stories, many stories, serve as a warning. It's a gracious and merciful warning to protect the next generation from sin. God gives these warnings and gives grace to heed them. So, we tell these stories so that the coming generation might know the glorious deeds of the Lord. We have a mandate 
We have a message. We have a motive. Families and church, we are called to tell the coming generation of the glorious deeds of the Lord. And I want to finish by suggesting another application of this. This is what Greg asked me to come talk about. He asked me to tell you about a college that I am working with the leadership of Sovereign Grace to start. It's called Trinity College of Louisville. This is a new venture to serve the families and the students of Sovereign Grace churches. We want to start a Christian liberal arts college. And here's why. When our Puritan forebears first arrived in the New World, obviously the first order of business for them was to find food and to build shelter. And there, the Massachusetts Bay Colony is founded in 1630 on the shores of Massachusetts. There, they began to build a village. In that village, they began to build a culture. And as soon as they had established a sustainable means of living. Do you know what came next? You know what the next thing they did was? They created an institution to ensure the transmission of the gospel to the next generation. And they called it Harvard College. And they founded it a mere six years after they started the Massachusetts Bay Colony. What a priority it was to them. Now, Harvard College is not now what it was then, but it was founded to train up men for ministry in 1636. Now, 24 years ago, Sovereign Grace followed in the spiritual footsteps of the Massachusetts Bay Colony and those Puritans when C.J. Mahaney led Sovereign Grace to start the Pastor's College. I attended the second class of the Pastor's College, and that experience shaped the rest of my life. The foundation has served me as I served as a pastor for 20 years. I spent 10 years serving bivocationally, working in business in Louisville, and now as the headmaster at a classical Christian school in Louisville. I want my children and their generation to be equipped with the same kind of theological training, biblical insight, discernment, courage that, that men tried to pour into me when I was a young man. Given the hostility in our culture to the gospel and to Christianity, I know our children and their generation are going to face challenges to their faith that are greater than anything we've yet seen. And that's why it's more important than ever to equip the next generation with biblical discernment, with character, with conviction, with courage. We want to raise up young people who are well-educated and wise. We want to raise up young men who are godly leaders in the home, the church, the workplace, and the community. I want to raise up young women who are passionate about training the next generation in the home and mentoring other women in the priorities of Titus 2. And so we are launching Trinity College of Louisville in order to fuse the best of Sovereign Grace's passion for gospel-centered everything with a classic liberal arts curriculum. The bottom line in this is all education is discipleship. It's true at every level, from kindergarten all the way up to 12th grade, into college, to master's, even PhDs. All of it is discipleship. And so as we consider the education of our children, the question is not will they be discipled through their education. It's who will disciple them and what will those teachers or professors disciple them in. And so we want to provide Trinity College as an option for sovereign grace families to send their kids to where they will get education and discipleship, education as discipleship. 
We're going to begin this fall. We're calling it the bridge year at Trinity College. Some students will come for one year. Maybe they want to go on and get a more technical degree in engineering or medicine, something that we're not equipped to offer. They can spend one year with us and get trained and equipped, gain discernment, get a biblical worldview so they'll be equipped, ready to encounter whatever the world may throw at them. Other students that bridge year may serve as the freshman year of a four-year Bachelor of Arts program in the liberal arts. We aim to serve students by forging in them Christian character and virtue. We want them to be instructed to pursue their vocation with an informed understanding of God's will for them and to have deeply rooted biblical convictions that will help them resist cultural assimilation, theological liberalism, biblical views of race and ethnicity, manhood and womanhood, sexuality, marriage, parenting, so many ways they need scripture in their lives. And so I'm excited to introduce Trinity College to you. We have a website, trinitycollegeoflouisville.com, where you can find out more. It's Mother's Day, so I'm sure a lot of you will be hustling out to take mom to lunch or to grill some burgers for her or whatever it may be. I'll be around afterwards. If you want to learn more, Greg can give you my email or my phone number. I'd be happy to talk more with you about it and tell you more about what Trinity College has to offer. Please pray for us. Please pray that God would provide students. Please pray that God would provide our daily bread so that we can have the funds needed to start a college. And pray especially that we'd be effective and fruitful in proclaiming to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. Now, when we tell the story of the gospel from our lives, from the lives of other Christians throughout church history and the faithful saints that have gone before us in the Bible, we are shaping the coming generation. Parents and church, let's see these stories for what they are. The glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he, have done, he has done, the stories that are in this book, stories of your life, the stories of your conversion, stories of fellow church members, telling these stories, it's not mere entertainment. It's not a way to pass the time around the dinner table or on a road trip. God has used and will use your telling of the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ to shape the next generation for his glory and the good of his people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for all the ways that you have revealed your will and your plan to us. We thank you for this book. We thank you that it gives us direction about how to tell the coming generation of the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wondrous works that he has done. So help us, we pray, to tell the story of Jesus and the gospel to the next generation. Empower and equip these families and this church to pass it on to the next generation, that they might know you and love you with all their hearts. Father, you are able to do far more than we could ask or imagine. So please amaze us. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom we love with all our hearts. Amen.